Good morning. So glad that you're back this week. <clears throat> that song was um, really touched my heart. It was, I suppose it was the song that ministered more to Linda during the last year of her life than any other song. And um, I'm so grateful that Allison, my lovely wife, Allison, who is at home uh, this morning with the same crud that many of you have had, is just not only fine, she's grateful, actually, when I say things about Linda. She wants to know about her because she's heard so many wonderful things from you. And Linda is so grateful, I am certain, in heaven, if she is aware of what goes on here of how much Allison ministers to you as well. Um, Stephen, Deacon Stephen. I was just kidding last week about stoning Stephen, Deacon Stephen. That was before Wednesday. Wednesday night, we had a home group leader training time over here. And I was coming from Fuquay. It was about 5.45. It was dark. I was sitting at the stoplight. Uh, intersection of Old Honeycutt and Purfoy right behind my house. And all of a sudden, ah! On the window, just like that. Just, ah! (laughs) So, um, you know, we got to church and he said, you don't know how much I needed that. One of my kids had been screaming for six minutes. I said, yeah, and and I was screaming six minutes after that too. (laughs) So you do as you see fit. That's all I'm going to say. You just do what you think you should. Well, uh, that was quite a shock to me. How how would you respond if, if God came to you? Maybe in a vision, maybe a dream, maybe he showed up in the form of a human. But you knew that this is God. And he says, I want you to go to a foreign country. Take your family. Get out of here. Go. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. And, and, and so then you say, Lord, where am I going? He says, just go. So you pack up your van, you know, your VW and van, and you, and you start heading out, and you just start generally wandering toward the southwest. End up at the Mexican border, Mexico border, and you just w- drive across and eventually make your way through Central America, and you just end up in Bolivia. I mean, your dad used to talk about Bolivia, so, so maybe that's why. <clears throat> and and, and you, you begin in Bolivia, you wander from place to place. Not campground to campground, just place to place. You know, your whole family, you, you sort of set up shop for a while, and, and then you, you pack up and you, you move on. You don't speak Spanish, but you learn. And sort of learn how to make your way in this territory. I mean, you left your family behind years ago, and very rarely do you have any contact at all. I mean, you sent back for a wife for your son, but, but for the most part, your ties with the family back home are, are completely severed. The one family member that, that came with you, a nephew, is now off somewhere else in Bolivia because of a dispute that you had. When your wife dies, you, you buy a gravesite, but you keep moving from area to area. 
in your camper. So, as you near the end of your life, how do you feel? Successful? Peaceful? I suppose that depends on your faith in God. Not, not just this general sense of, of a feeling that, that you've done what you're supposed to do, but you're relying on the very words that God had told you, this is what I am going to want you to do. Do you believe that one day your descendants are going to be fathers of great nations? Not just one nation, but many nations. Do you believe that? I mean, there's no evidence whatsoever. Hey, you've got a pretty big entourage, and you have to pick your spots where you move from place to place because there are so many of you. But do you think you're really going to be a great nation? I suppose that depends on your faith. It depends on how trustworthy you believe God is, no matter how things look at the time. Abram, Sarai, you, the more things change, the more things stay the same. We're discovering all over Genesis gospel origins. This morning, as every Sunday in this study in Genesis, and and frankly, every Sunday at Grace, We'll be thinking about God and about His role in our lives. The title of today's message is The God Who Separates. I had thought we were going to get to Melchizedek this morning. Uh, but there's just way too much in Genesis 13 about God and how He interacts with us and how we are to respond to Him to, to hurry along. By the way, uh, so grateful for Forrest. Uh, leading us this morning, not filling in for David, but, but leading us. Uh, I, I was, as I was mentioning the song, I had meant to say this back then, I, you alone can rescue. I, I hope that the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, if you're thinking about the message, it will help you greatly if you will also just sing the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. David I don't want to sign these songs. Every once in a while I'll say, you know, here's a song I'd really like for us to do this, this morning. In fact, last week, Come Ye Sinners at the end of the service was one of those. And David said, well, we're going to have it next week. Is that all right? I said, yeah. But David and now Forrest this morning, they read the text and they pick the songs. And they do a phenomenal job. You don't know what's coming, but as I stand reading the lyrics of the songs and singing this praise to the Lord, I'm just thinking, this is amazing. So if you want to understand the scripture and the, and the, and the message better, then sing the songs that we're singing on Sunday morning. Be singing them all week long. Um, so we're going to read our text in a moment, and we're just going to work our way slowly through it. But first, I, I, I want to list some themes for, for you to be looking for. And if you're a note taker, you might want to start taking notes furiously because I'm going to try to, you know, stall for time a little bit as we go through this list, just a little bit. Uh, they're in random order, so as we read our text, they're, they're, they're not going to be in order, but, but you'll find them uh, all over this passage, and, and in fact, more themes than these. Good decisions after bad. You ever made good decisions after you've made bad ones? The ways that God speaks to His children. We're going to see the way God speaks to Abram. Does he speak to us the same way that he spoke to Abram? How did he speak to him? 
And everybody wants to know, how, how can I know God is speaking to me? How can I know God is leading me? Painful separation, separation, but meaningful separation. Can you recall a time in your life right off that that's happened? It really hurt you to see somebody go, and yet, in the end, you see what God was doing when that happened? Uh, if, if that separation had occurred, many of you would not be married to your current spouse, you know. And don't be saying, you know, what's meaningful about it then. No, don't, don't, don't do anything like that. The deception of beauty. You ever been fooled by things that look so right? Some things just look so good. But if you look under the surface, you'll find that the, that, that the beauty... It's deceptive. Hebrews 3.13 tells us not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it tells us that, that the way that we are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin is to live in a community of faith. And we are to exhort one another day by day so that we will not be deceived by sin. And sin is so deceitful. It causes us to say ridiculous things like, I just do not believe that God would want me to live in a marriage where I can't be close to Him because of the lack of spirituality in my spouse. We say, surely God wants me to have a beautiful relationship with somebody. And he won't, or I'd just be better off by myself so that I can grow close to God. Grace, grace, grace. Genesis is a book of grace. I mean, the whole Bible is, is full of grace, but, but over the next four books, in, in the next four books of the Pentateuch, there is such a heavy emphasis on law. And law can be harsh. Well, well it's not that the law is harsh. It's just a penalty for not keeping the law, which no one can do. It's harsh. Death. And so, perhaps God was saying, I want you to understand my grace. I just want you to get a good, I want you to soak in my grace. And then you're going to see how impossible it is to get to me. And that if I don't come to you, it doesn't happen. God's will, best seen in retrospect. That's no fun at all. Bad decisions after good. Now, this is where we're more likely to fit in than the first one. We're going to see both of these in, in Genesis 13. Number eight, trust, trust, trust. Here is where I am in my understanding of God in Scripture and the ways that He works with us. It, it, it seems to me that more than anything else, God wants us to trust Him. Obey Him, of course. And we sing the song, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way. Well, the old school among us sing that song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, you can obey without trusting, but I don't know that you can trust without obeying. When we really trust God, our lives move toward obedience. But if we obey without trusting, we, become, we can become legalists very quickly. The place of death in one's life with God. It's a central theme in Scripture, pointing to Jesus' cross, and there's no way we're going to come close 
to exploring that aspect in, in Scripture or this truth in Scripture because it's, it's, it's the central theme in Scripture along with resurrection. Blessings where there should be curses. You ever experienced that? I mean, God's ways are not our ways. Let's just say it like that. I'm not talking in a, in, in, in a man-be-pan-be kind of a way like parents, you know, parent today. Don't you do that. Okay, honey, here's a cookie, you know. That's, I'm not talking like that. But God's way of blessing us when we deserve nothing but condemnation. And then families... And other families. The story we're going to follow today begins in Genesis 2, or verse 2 of Genesis 13. But, but we're going to read verse 1, not only for context, but as part of our understanding of the ways that God works with us. And it, it, it leads us to understand that we don't understand God at all, unsettling as that may be. And it's why we need to be sons of Abraham, Abraham and daughters of Sarah, trusting God when it makes no sense to us, let alone anybody else. Have you, at this point in your walk with God, had somebody in your family say, have you lost your mind? Or they may as well have said it, they didn't say it. Why do you want to do that? All of my family really wanted me to turn to God. And when I did, they said, essentially, many of them, not all of them, but many of them said, well, look, we wanted you to get saved, but we didn't want you to get that saved. Yeah, I mean, we wanted you to cut your hair, but really? That's short. Um, well, Genesis 13 is overflowing with truth about God and about the ways that he interacts with us and how we are to respond to him. We're going to work our way through this text, finding all of these themes and more in this story. So let's begin with prayer. Father, we confess that Uh, We are unworthy recipients of your word and in many cases recipients of, of your grace. Lord, I pray that it will be true of every one of us before we leave. Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts with the word that he wrote through Moses, and that we would not only look at Genesis 13 with very contemporary eyes, understanding that the God of Genesis 13 is the God of 2013, but that we would also respond as you have called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It occurred to me when I prayed, one of the things that was so difficult, and I mentioned this a year or two ago, when we were talking about election. One of the things I'm sure that was difficult for some of you with the message last week is this, is that you feel like, look, everybody ought to have a choice as to whether or not he or she is connected with God. And indeed, Scripture indicates that we do have a choice. It also indicates that God chooses us and we've got nothing to do with it. So you got both things working at the same time. 
But, but here's the deal. As we will see over and over in Genesis, we'll see, oh, my goodness, you see it in Exodus. God is about to destroy the nation of Israel. And so Moses falls on his face and he says, God, please don't. Please don't. Moses was mad as fire with these people. But he said, please don't destroy this people. And if you do, don't count on me. Moses is desperate. He's praying desperately. And God, it says, changes his mind. Now, look, we don't think of God as changing his mind. We don't exactly. We're not going to say that God changed his mind because of Moses' prayer. And yet it's written that way. What's the deal? God uses our interaction with Him. He uses our prayers as a part of His will. So if you know somebody who does not belong to Jesus, and you hear the, 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 the doctrine of election, which is all the way through Scripture, the temptation is to say, what if this person is not elect? I don't, I'm just not going to handle, I'm not going to believe that. Listen, here's the deal. If this person is in your life, If God has called you to pray, that's a pretty good sign. And furthermore, who do you want making the choice, God or that person? What are you going to do to convince somebody to be saved? Can you do it? We give a defense of of, of what we believe, right? Scripture tells us that we're to constantly tell others about Christ and, and, and defend why we have, or to give an explanation for the hope that lies within us. So, so don't be discouraged on, on account of that and say, well, what if this person's not? Just don't worry about that. Pray and ask God to open this person's eyes. So, didn't plan to say that, but there it is. Genesis 13, you'll remember that at the end of chapter 12, Pharaoh had driven Abram, Sarai, Lot, and everyone with them out of Egypt because of Abram's despicable deception. What did he do? He told Sarai, he said, look, baby. I mean, sis. You're a good-looking woman. And these Egyptians, they're going to, not only these Egyptians, Pharaoh ended up saying, wow, bring that gal to me. And Abram knew, he said, I, and you, this is the guy that got up, you know, and left Wake County, Harnett County, Johnston County, went to Bolivia, for goodness sakes. And he said, I, I just don't know. I mean, God, but God had said he's going to make a great nation of you. And he says, I, I, maybe God needs a little help. So, Sarah, tell him you're my sister. Pharaoh found out. God lit him up like he did Abimelech many years later, and said, you are but a dead man because you're messing with the wrong person. That makes no sense to us at all. So let's pick up in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Where did Abram get all those riches? Well, we know he got the livestock in Egypt. I mean, Pharaoh had loaded Abram and Lot as well, no doubt. He had loaded them down with livestock. Good possibility that the gold and silver had come from them as well. That's what would happen 400 years later. When the children of Israel went out of Egypt, 
The Egyptians loaded them down with riches. So, after sinning boldly, as Martin Luther would say, Abram received God's blessing when he should have been the terrified recipient of God's judgment. When you blow it big time, what do you... I don't know why I had this analogy, but I was constantly looking for a telephone pole to drop on my head, you know, back in the early days of my walk with Christ. Now, don't think this is a good pattern to follow, that if you really mess up, if you sin boldly, that you will be blessed. I mean, Lot's going to have a different tale to tell. We're going to see over the next few weeks the, 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 the horrific consequences of Lot's decision to be walking away from God. But as I said last week, God's grace is scandalous. We deserve no less judgment than Abram did. But through Jesus' death, God forgives our sins. In fact, the next few verses hint at the great place that death has in, in, in the, the role of death in our lives as followers of Christ. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And we read about that in Genesis 12, that altar. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Do you remember how God clothed Adam and Eve when their eyes were open to their nakedness because of their sin? What did he do? Killed an animal. Took the skins, clothed them. What about Abel? What was that, what was that acceptable sacrifice that Abel brought to the Lord? Cain brought some vegetables, which, hey, would have looked mighty good to, to some people. But Abel brought from, the f- from his flock, he brought an animal. What was the first thing Noah did when he got off the ark? He took all of the clean animals, some of the clean animals, and he sacrificed them. What did Abram do when he got into Canaan? He built an altar. He sacrificed, and now he's coming back to the same place, either at the same altar or building another altar close by to offer more sacrifices. Scripture is clear, and and before Scripture was ever written, men and women understood that the, the, the penalty for our sin, the price of our sin, is death. So for the, from the earliest days, men and women sacrificed animals as payment for their sins. In, in fact, God is going to establish through Moses and, and, and his particular tribe, the Levites, he's going to establish this elaborate sacrificial system for the people. Next week, we're going to learn about Melchizedek who was a priest of God. And he came out of nowhere, by the way, this priest of God. But Hebrews tells us that deep down, the Old Testament saints, and we would know the same thing if Jesus had not come to this point, that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. There needed to be a perfect sacrifice. All of those animals, those lambs, those bulls, those pigeons, they were all just temporary. It was temporary sacrifices. And though the blood of bulls and goats can never eradicate sin, Jesus' blood does. When we repent of our sin and ask God 
to forgive us on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. In our place, we are immediately brought into the family of God. Well, okay, I've been a Christian for a while now. I've been following Jesus for a while. But what about when I really mess up? What about when I intentionally, when I plan to get drunk? Or when I plan to indulge in pornography or or food, or I spend money that we just don't have as a family. What about when I plot to get revenge on someone who has hurt me, whether that person intended to hurt me or not? What then? What when I really mess up? Well, go back to the cross. Not in order to be saved again but in order to acknowledge your individual sins. It's kind of like this. We're saved from our sin, from our sinful state and condition when we meet Jesus. When we repent of our sin and when we say, I follow you. But there are sins that we commit after we believe that need to be confessed. The word confess in in, in 1 John 1 9, the, it comes from the Greek word homologeo, and it means to agree with. In other words, to acknowledge before God who you are. Look, when, when somebody calls you on something you've done, what's the first thing you, your, your tendency is to start backing up? Say, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. You, you need to understand. And we start justifying. Quit none of that. Come to the Lord saying, I am, I did exactly what you said I shouldn't do, and I did it all the way. What's worse is when we say, well, well, okay, well, I did such and such, but, but you, you, no. That's not homologeo, that's not agreeing with God about your sin. We are who God says we are. And when we acknowledge that, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what does it say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we are adopted into God's family, we will always be a part of God's family. We've been forgiven of our sin, but we need to confess our individual sins. We're going to see, by the way, next month, as foolish as Lot was, apparently he's going to be with us in heaven. The New Testament calls Lot a righteous man. So it's possible to, to, to follow Christ and really not look like a Christ follower at all. That is the great exception, Scripture indicates. Not the general rule. But just think about the difference in Lot and Abram. I mean, after Abram's terrible decision in Egypt, he made a very good decision to come back to the altar and to seek God's forgiveness. Lot, on the other hand, after having made a wonderful decision to leave what family he knew in Haran and come with Abram, south to Canaan, made one bad decision after another. He starts moving towards Sodom, then he gets inside. We'll, we'll talk about all of that. This progression that, 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 is, that you see in, in Lot's life is, 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 is an absolute contrast to what we see in April. Abram. When you make a, a mistake of huge proportions, and instead of moving away from God, move back toward him don't inch toward sin because when we consider lot the consequences of his sin were just horrific be like abram and move back toward god would you just look we're not done this is in the middle of the message i I just want to let you know that but let's would you just bow your heads for a moment 
because I, I want some of you to have the, <laughs> the opportunity to right now just confess before the Lord the thing that is just driving you crazy. Some of you endure guilt as your close and constant companion. I, I understand that. I, I often look up and, and there he is right beside me. There's something that you did this past week, maybe yesterday in fact, or maybe it's something that happened 20, 30 years ago, and you just can't get past it. What do you do? Well, first of all, if if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you've just been trying to be as good as you can, hoping to get to God, then, oh, cry out to God and ask Him to forgive you of your sin on the basis of Jesus. Death on the cross in your place. If you've been a Christian for one month or six decades and you're carrying guilt, then confess your sin to the Lord. Do that right now and agree with Him that this is an egregious sin. Some of you are going to say, well, yes, I've done that 6,000 times and I still feel guilty. You're at the altar of the Lord. You're at the cross of Jesus. Right now, in your heart, confess your sin. Blood has been shed for every single one of your sins. And it's that blood that gives you direct access to the Father when your head is hung so deeply in shame. Lord, please free, relieve my brothers and sisters and me from guilt. You've promised that when we confess our sins, when we agree with you that our sins are as you say they are, and you'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We believe you. We ask you to fill our hearts with greater and greater trust That we might live as your children, as pilgrims in this foreign land. While we await our inheritance from you in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. That's an interesting little little point that I hadn't planned to say anything about. But look, it's Abram's faith that he's going to own this land. All of this land is happening when Canaanites and the Perizzites are owning the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen, we're family. Let's let's not go down this road. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right, I'll go to the left. This must have been quite painful for Abram. I mean, just think of all that's transpired to this place in his life. I mean, he left Ur, he went to Haran, a lot of his family went to Haran with him, and 
And then his dad died and, and he just picked up and left. And the only one that came with him was Lot. And now they're going to separate. It must have been a really bad dispute. Must have been the kind of dispute that Abram said, we can't get along together. Now separate yourself from me, Lot. Lot, at any age, Lot should have said, Abram, you choose, I'll go the other way. Should have had that respect. But this very likely was a cultural exchange. Remember later... Abram, when he tries to buy a little piece of land and a, and a, and a tomb, a cave to, to bury his, his wife Sarah, there's this give and take. Abram says, name your price and I'll... And, and uh, the gentleman he's bartering with, Machpelah, it's the cave of Machpelah. I don't know if that's the same one. I can't remember right now. But, you know, says, oh, no, you're a prince in the land. We're, we'll give it to you. He says, uh-uh, no, I'm not taking that. Just give it to, give me the price. Oh, no, any of, well, I promise. Give me the price. Okay, if you insist. Well, now, that's very likely what was happening here. A cultural exchange that, that Abram said to Lot, you choose. Lot should have said, oh, Abram, there's no way I'm going to choose. You're the patriarch of this family. You choose. And then Abram would have said, no, no, Lot, I want you to choose. Abram, there's no way I could, I just can't do that. Okay, if you insist. None of that. None of that. Lot just says, okay. I'll go over here. Let's see what. And and, and by the way, again, where did Lot get all these flocks? All these herds? In Egypt, Probably because of the blessing of being with, connected with Abram. And so, instead of acknowledging the blessing that Abram has been to him, he treats him with disrespect. Let's, so let's see what happened. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Now, this was before, you understand, that the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far from Sodom, as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. There were just so many bad things about Lot's choice. I mean, while Abram had made the right decision to offer sacrifice to the Lord after he sinned, Lot, after making this good decision to follow Abram, now not only separates from him, but he he has this terrible, makes a terrible decision to move towards Sodom. In addition to disrespecting Abram, we're going to see in these coming weeks that Lot moved gradually. You know, he pitches his tent outside, then he's living in a house, then he's sitting in the gates, fully participating in city life. He's just moving closer and closer to the sin that created these horrible consequences for him. Notice a reference to the garden of the Lord. Sounds like Eden, doesn't it? It wasn't. It was beautiful, but it was deceptive. Instead of trying 
to work with Abram. Lot saw a beautiful place and moved there, even though he knew the reputation of the people in Sodom. They were wicked before the Lord, and yet he was playing with it, just playing with it, playing with it. The company we keep is always going to impact our character, isn't it? Now look, do not be a Christ follower who will have nothing to do with anybody else except Christ followers. But your best friends need to be on the same path as you, moving toward Lord, the Lord just like Abram. And when your buddy or when you sin, the other needs to pick the other one up and say, get to the altar and ask forgiveness. Lot moved east, which again recalls Genesis 3, how when God expelled Adam and Eve, he sent them east. East in Genesis is always moving away from God. That's not good news for us on the east coast. But we are west of Israel, so you know, the promised land, so I suppose that's all right. In Genesis, Adam and Eve were sent away. Lot walked away from God's blessings. How tragic. Let's continue. The Lord said to Abram, Yahweh said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Yahweh said to Abram, Abram. Well, before we hear what Yahweh said, let me, let me clarify something. Exodus 3 tells us that, that God introduced himself to Moses as Yahweh. In Genesis 6, God tells Moses that he had made himself Known to, he had not made himself known to Abram, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Yahweh. And it's been my contention that Moses wrote Yahweh into the story because he knew more than the patriarchs. M- many, if not most, commentators say that Yahweh's name was known in those early days, but they didn't understand the full meaning. You've got to deal with what appears to be a discrepancy one way or the other. And that's just one way of dealing with it. Um, Either way, God is interacting with Abram here as a covenant God. So Yahweh says to God, this is your land. This is what you're going to be. Now, look, I've not been able to find anywhere in Scripture that Abram knew that Canaan, the land that he was on, the land that he was looking at was the promised land by way of God telling him that. Clearly, there was a sense in Abram's heart that he was to move in that direction, and he kept wandering in that direction. And contrary evidence may be somewhere in the Bible, because Abraham is everywhere in Scripture, but I haven't found it. Even if it's not written in Scripture, it doesn't mean that Abraham did not know by this point. We do know, according to Hebrews 11.8, 
that when Abraham left Ur, he had no idea where he was going. The Lord just said, get out and go. Where? Just go. No doubt, Abram seemed to be drawn to Canaan. But this may be the first time he knew for sure that this was the land of promise. And that brings us to something that may be very discouraging for some of you and very encouraging for others of you. God's will is best seen in hindsight, in retrospect, looking back. Well, thanks a lot. How does that help me? I want to know what God's will is for my life. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to... I want to know, no, no. I'm so sorry. If you are extremely charismatic, you, you're, you're in better shape than the rest of us, you know. Because the Holy Spirit's going to lead you in everything you do. Only how many times has the Holy Spirit led you to do something and it happens and you think, well, that couldn't have been the Holy Spirit. Or how many times are you absolutely certain God is doing something in your life and then it just falls apart? And you've told everybody, this is God's will for my life. I can see it as clear as day. And then there's one of those major eclipses of the sun that, you know, it's darkest pitch in the daytime. When I first trusted Jesus, I often talked about how I searched God out and I found him. And then not long after it began to become clear to me that the hound of heaven had run me down. I I wasn't the one doing the searching and the finding. And that's often the way it is with God's will as well. And so sometimes when, when you say, pray that I will know God's will, my response to you is, I will pray that you make the right decision whether you feel like it's the right decision or not. Because it's just not as clear as we want it to be. We want God to lay it all out for us. And you know what God says? Just go and trust me. There is quite a bit of God's will right here. I mean, in fact, the overwhelming majority of God's will is right here. You know what you're supposed to do. Do it. And make the best decisions you can prayerfully. Pray that God will lead you and make the best decisions you can. Some of them are going to turn out all right. Some of them are not. And in the end, you know what? When your heart is toward God, you're in His will. Regardless of whether it makes sense or not. One of the ways that... God's will is accomplished in our lives is to bring about painful, painful, painful separation. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. Now, Abram said, do it. Lot did it. But clearly it was God separating Abram from all his earthly connections. And that's what God so often does in our own lives as well. I mean, you think about the family members, the friends, church friends with whom you were so close at one time, but not now. Something happened, and God separated you. I'm not saying you're Abram and they're Lot. That's not what I'm saying at all. Hopefully it's not the other way around, but sometimes 
We're both Abram, and God just separates us. I remember when I made the decision to follow Christ when I was 18 years old. Uh, One of the reasons that I I didn't do that earlier is because I thought, well, you know, I'll have to give up all my friends. I didn't. I didn't have to give up all my friends. They gave me up. (laughs) I mean, it, it was okay, though. You know why? Because I'd moved from one family of friends to another family of friends. I, I didn't expect this life to be easy. In fact, even though my friends dropped off one by one, I had this great purpose in my life. All of a sudden, I never had what I felt like was a real purpose in life. But now following Jesus, I had purpose. Abram must have felt the same. As difficult it was as it was for Lot to go, God said, just look in every direction. All this is going to be yours. So how did God speak to Abram? I mean, does he speak to us in the same ways that he spoke to Abram? You're going to talk about that a lot more in home group uh, this week. And we're going to talk about that plenty in the coming weeks. For now, and by the way, home group, I imagine a lot of the home groups are not meeting tonight, maybe tomorrow. The Tuesday folks will be faithful, I would imagine. The Hilltop home group is almost as rabid and obsessive as the Bowie's Creek Keith Hills home group. So they just meet whenever, ever, you know, there's a chance to meet. They meet. This is a great thing. I'm just kidding with them. But... Look, if you're a home group leader and, and your group's not meeting, please send out the leader's notes this week, the, the last batch of leader's notes, which were more comprehensive than the first. Because these are big questions. And we'll deal with them. And in fact, if you're not in a home group, contact me. I would love to send you those notes so that you can see the kinds of things that we discuss and that you can deal with this issue more fully. And maybe we will in a few Sundays, but, but for now, just know that when God stripped Abram to the bone, it must have seemed. He blessed him with a promise that was beyond his comprehension. But Abram believed anyway. That's why Abram's faith is commended over and over in Scripture. He just believed God. He trusted him. God promised Abram that the land on which he was standing and all he could see would be his. I mean, very likely Abram was in a, in a high place with good line sights every direction. And God said, just turn around. You know, do a Julie Andrews sound of music kind of turn around and, and just look. It's all going to be yours and your family. And just like God promised, I hope you see the connection of, of these messages all the way back to two, two weeks ago when Sean preached on Revelation 21. Just like God promised Abram a land as an inheritance, God's always prom- He's always pointing our eyes to an inheritance, not an inheritance in this life, though. Just like Abraham, we're going to wander like pilgrims, but there's a day coming where we're going to possess the land. And it's going to be beautiful in His will. But so many people are just running down to Sodom trying to find something beautiful now. God's call is different. He separates us to Himself. 
He sanctifies. He sets us apart. So that we will be a people of God. A people of priests. Mediating God's blessings. To those who don't know him. Earthly attachments. Get in the way. Of the goal of heaven don't they? Not, not that it's a goal to be achieved. As in if I can just work hard enough I'll get there. But the promise that should fill us, fill our hearts, the hope of heaven should be enough to radically alter our lives as we live as pilgrims here. Speaking of radical, the, the Christ life, the, the life of a Christ follower is not easy. It is also blessed for those who follow just like Abram did. Look at the way that God separates us from earthly attachments that render us useless in his kingdom. Matthew 10, 34 to 37. There are no words on the wall, so I'm just, yep, good. Do not think that I, Jesus is speaking here, have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I think that was happening before. Well, no. You know what that means here. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, It's not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There's a lot more where that came from. Luke 9. So we don't have the the Genesis slides. That's okay. As they were going, Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, is that right? Really? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow. Sounds callous, doesn't it? Well, look, you've got to understand what the guy was saying. He was saying, let me go back and just wait till my father dies. Then I'll come follow you. And Jesus said, no, you let that take its course. I've called you to something else. I've I've called you to separate yourself from anything that holds you back. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Same type of thing. Let me just, I'm going to miss him so much. Let me, and Jesus knew the guy's heart. You go home, you'll stay at home. Well, Abram responded to God the way that Jesus calls us to respond to him. Lot walked away unwilling to live a life of sacrifice. But rather, instead, Lot Lot sought riches in this life. Look at Abram's response to God. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre. 
I may say that later, different later, but uh, which are at Hebron. There he built an altar to the Lord. Abram walked the land, no doubt, in, 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 in the first prayer walk uh, in Scripture, and he settled at Hebron. He built an altar to the Lord. Once again, he did the first thing he does when he settles, he sets up an altar. And he says, I never want to forget where I'm anchored. It's in, it's in the Lord. How close to God Abram must have felt at this point. You ever experienced that? Where you've been called to give up associations, to give up possessions that were very dear to you. But in faith you did it. And there was that time where the Lord's presence just overwhelmed you. There's a purpose of God separating. Three years ago, three or four years ago, look, God not only separated my wife from me, He separated some of the dearest people in my life from me. It's the lowest I have ever been in my life. But when God comes to you and fills your heart with His with presence and you in faith look to Him rather than pout, which is my natural response. Then the blessings of God extend far beyond what you would have planned for yourself. Abram had left everything and the one family member that had come with him had walked away. Yet in this faith that we read about everywhere in Scripture, Abraham was at peace. What about us? What's God going to do for us when people just walk away? People that we love walk away. What's he going to do for us when we decide to follow him no matter what, no matter what the cost? Well, Peter had the same question. Matthew 19, 27 to 30. Then Peter said to the Lord in response to something he has said, See, we have left everything and we followed you. What then will we have? Now, this is an interesting contrast. Peter, at this point in his life, before Pentecost and later, when the beggar is at the gate of the temple or gate of the city, and, um, and Peter and John walk by, and he's begging, and he says, please give me some money. And Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have any, but such as I have, I give to you. So, you know, Peter goes from what shall we have to such as I have because he's recognizing his inheritance is far greater than anything this world can afford. But you know what Jesus says? I'm going to give anyway. Truly, I say to you, Jesus said, in the new world where the Son of Man will sit on the glor- his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. 
You know, when God takes away, He always replaces. God will give whatever you sacrifice to Him. When He separates you from attachments in this world, whether it be people, jobs, possessions, whatever, not only does He have a great purpose for His kingdom, He's got a great purpose for you. His desire is to bless you. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. Let's pray. We have learned that we're in a mess whenever we depend upon ourselves. And uh, Paul writes in Romans, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who who is at the right hand of God and indeed is interceding for us. Who, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake, we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen.